orphan wells are basically wells some of them produce but a very small number so most of them are not producing anymore and they're wells that have sort of changed hands so many times that there's not a solvent operator anymore and so when there's not an operator in existence because of reasons like bankruptcy um, the responsibility for that well kind of defaults back to the state where the well exists in and they therefore also have the liability associated with plugging wells which um, can can be tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oil and gas makes modern life possible. The energy the world requires today and tomorrow will come from decisions made in the oil field today. Oil and gas will remain the leading source of fuel to power affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, clean, storable, and transportable power. The Oil Field 360 podcast is a 360-degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a first-hand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. The Oilfield 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. United Airlines. As Houston's hometown airline, United has long been the preferred carrier of the energy sector. United for Business offers a range of programs and discounted travel options built for all of your energy, resource, and marine travel needs. Get started at united.com business. Piper Sandler. The energy and power team of Piper Sandler is committed to the global energy industry and delivers exceptional client services in M&A advisory, capital markets execution, institutional sales, and investment research. For more information, please visit pipersandler.com slash energy and power. Welcome to the Oldfield 360 podcast. I'm your host, David DeRode, and I'm missing my co-host today, Josh Lowry. We had a little scheduling snafu. But uh, hopefully we'll do okay today. It's uh, it's a little bit different here. We only got two chairs in the studio today when we normally have four. So I'll miss my sidekick a little bit. But uh, anyhow, Josh had to take his kids to camp and uh, didn't think to connect with his wife, as I often sometimes do about schedules. And so we are, uh, we are winging it today. I'm joined today by a very special guest. Um, lady who I've known for several years, have just not ever had a chance to visit just because of various things. But Stacy Teruscio is joining us from Tulsa today. She took the time to fly down and see us. She's been on a uh, little bit of a summer trip. We'll get to get her to talk about that. But thank you for being here today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you yeah. for having me. So Stacy, uh, tell everybody kind of a little bit about yourself and you know, obviously, I just said you're from Tulsa. but I'm from uh, Tulsa, yeah. Born and raised in Tulsa, actually just north of town, and I went to the University of Tulsa, so my husband actually gets on me a lot for not having, not being very worldly, but I have traveled. I've been outside of the country. I've been to a lot of the places. I just didn't stay. I always came back, so um, maybe that's the most important thing about me is I'm, I'm a big homebody, a big home person, um, and a mom, so I have two little girls. And then my husband, I don't want to forget about him because I often do. That's the classic wife mistake. 
yeah. as the classic husband mistake is <laughs> not to tell your wife what you're doing. Um, so those are the main things, the most important things, you know, over right. the last year, we've learned to focus on those most important things. Um, but I also have an engineering degree from the University of Tulsa and an MBA. And so um, have run a couple businesses and tried to make a name for myself in the oil industry. Sure. So tell me a little bit about uh, those businesses, what you did with your education and what you've been doing. And Yeah. So I, out of school, I went to work for Samson, um, which is a real interesting company. And especially if you're in Tulsa, everybody's worked at Samson at one point in time. So you get to get to build a good network of people there and then kind of um, went on and did a couple of other different stints at different companies uh, and, and decided along the way, I did some big companies, I did some small companies and decided along the way that small companies are for me. And really, if you're going to invest in anybody, it might as well be yourself. So um, about six years ago, we kind of struck out on our own, myself and, um, and another girl, Stephanie Orr, and started Rebellion Energy. And we partnered with NGP to do that. That ended up being a scoop stack company, and we built up a really great position and had a really great team, and then rolled that into Camino Natural Resources, which is still a really great company with a really great team in the scoop stack, and um, and carrying on that legacy there. And then when that roll up happened, we started another iteration of Rebellion, and we really liked all of the things about the scoop stack from like a subsurface perspective, but didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves as mid continent team. We wanted to be kind of more diverse than that. So we went up to the Powder River Basin um, where where there's some, some pretty interesting things going on. Um, and we've been up there for a couple of years and have recently, you know, a lot of things changed with COVID and we don't, everybody talks about that a lot. So I won't talk about that, but a lot of things change. And during that time, we were able as a team to kind of pick our heads up because there wasn't as much activity and say, okay, we have some extra time. Um, we have this this great asset that kind of can kind of sit there and, and be self-serving for a little while. And what do we want to do? And how can we kind of make make something different happen here? The world is changing. So how can what's our role in that? And, and that's what we've spent the last six or so, eight months maybe doing. And what came out of that was fellow environmental partners, um, which is a nonprofit kind of uh, focused on uh, orphaned wells and not just plugging orphaned wells, but some of the research associated with impacts of those orphaned wells, as well as education of folks, stakeholders, mainly of each other's perspective on those those wells. So that's that started up in April. Very cool. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about um, our audiences become quite diverse and mm -hmm. some are familiar with the oil field and some are not for their benefit will you mm -hmm. tell them what an orphan well is and how yeah. a well becomes orphaned sure so orphan wells are basically wells some of them produce but a very small number so most of them are not producing anymore and they're wells that have sort of changed hands so many times that there's not a solvent operator anymore and so when there's not an operator in existence because of reasons like bankruptcy um, the responsibility for that well kind of defaults back to the state where the well exists in, and they therefore also have the liability associated with plugging wells, which um, can can be tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars. Sometimes, sure. most often tens. So, what does that mean, plugging a well? What do you what do you what do you? Um, you know, literally like sticking a, a plug in it. They're most often cement plugs is kind of what we do now. But you kind of go in and you clean up uh, the wellbore, take out all the tubulars, clean up the wellbore, 
come back in with um, a cement truck and pump cement down so that you're kind of um, blocking the conduit from the subsurface where the hydrocarbons exist to the atmosphere because you don't want things, um, well, you don't want exposure to that pressure. You don't want any kind of fugitive emissions or anything like that sure. coming out of the the wellbore. And um, all, if all done correctly and to standard, it, it kind of eliminates that uh, asset for for you know for the environment everybody around it it's kind of a popular topic these days isn't it, it is emissions people don't it like, is like people emissions. don't people don't love emissions and they shouldn't love emissions um but emissions especially around this topic is really tricky because there just does not exist a data set strong enough um to give us the answers we need, right? Like how sure. big is this problem? Is this a problem that exists on every well? N- probably not, right? But but you have to kind of have a st- statistically significant sample set to really answer a lot of those questions and create tools and do some analytics on quantifying the problem. What's the scale of the problem? How much emissions? Um, all of that. There's quite a bit on how like potent methane is versus carbon. So that exists out there, but um, how many of these wells emit methane how what are the super emitters all how do we predict those all of that stuff is still sort of um needs needs more work so let me ask you a question these orphan wells that uh, we're talking about are these leftover wells from years ago operators and they just do the changing of hands of operatorship they just kind of keep getting kicked down the road or are these relatively call it wells that have been drilled and produced in the last 10 to 20 years no these are wells the operators oftentimes don't exist anymore i mean this is not a problem that the current set of companies actively working now has created right um it's something that's happened um a long time before they existed in almost all cases and and although there continue to be some bankruptcies um, most often those assets emerge out of bankruptcy sure. now so you're really dealing with a legacy problem um, that you know nobody nobody really thought about and knew about in the 1950s when or even earlier when these things were happening and so um, it's not it's not the current companies um, that have created this problem it is however those current companies that have the expertise I think to help to help sure. solve it right so oil and gas uh, folks are a uh, very smart, very technologically capable, you know, good people. And I think we're getting a lot of support from the people that, that exist in those companies because, you know, no, no, it's something they can solve for. So would you agree that I think most operators are responsible operators today and that there is financial assurance requirements that they, they have to meet, mm-hmm. bonds that they have to post to meet those financial obligations for that asset at some point in the future? Yeah, I mean, everybody has to play by the rules in the individual states, right? Different states have different rules, and you could probably get a lot of different opinions on, you know, whether or not bonds or all those things exist. But all the companies in existence, uh, you know, for the most part, they all play by the rules, and they all do the right thing. And and like I said, they're not the ones kind of creating this problem. I think uh, because of all of the um, conversation around the topic now, you know, sure. I think there will be some flack uh, because of that conversation. And I sort of I sort of hate that. One of the reasons we wanted to c- create Fellow was to kind of unite the oil field around solving problems like that, being solution oriented and allowing them to write their own story around it, as opposed to sitting back and letting somebody else that's not as not as industry um you're not as familiar with the industry to write that narrative for them. Sure. And that's um, 
that's something that the industry probably hasn't done great at in the in the past, right? Really, <laughs> but uh, always have a new opportunity yeah. to do so. Uh, I appreciate you saying that. You know, that's one of the reasons Josh and I started this podcast was to try to get the good word out about the industry yeah. and, and all the good things that the industry does, as well acknowledge the, the areas that it certainly can improve. Yeah. And I appreciate you being focused on that. I mean, I was excited to hear uh, about that in our conversation a few weeks ago yeah. when uh, Rachel, our mutual friend, Rachel Race, uh, said, hey, you need to you need to get you need to talk to Stacy about what she's up to because she's involved with me on the Energy SG Council. Right. Trying to drive somewhat of more of a positive narrative, but yeah. also, again, acknowledge the, the areas for for improvement right. and, and being somewhat pragmatic about the approach. Right. So glad right. to hear your thinking about that. I personally want to support your organization, Thank as you. I told you I would. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I hope that we will get additional financial support for yeah. it. Um, yeah, I think building a bridge between the oil and gas f- f- people the people of oil and gas are so good, so smart, such yeah. good humans. I mean, we all, you know, everybody knows someone in oil and gas, and they're they're all great people. And it's just when you kind of take the humanity out of it and look at the industry from afar, that's when people start calling it dirty and, and negative things. Right. And that's just not that's just not what the people of oil and gas are are about. And so, if we can build a bridge between, you know, sort of the people sitting at the opposite side of the table and the humans of oil and gas. Um, then I think you can begin to see solutions again that are that are better for everybody that's yep. a stakeholder. I generally think so. I mean, I think whatever industry, whatever population you want to talk about, there's always going to be a group of people who are just bad people. I mean, evil um, does exist, but for the most part, most people are good people. They want to do the right thing. Yeah, so, yeah. going back to kind of the uh, the plugging and abandonment of these wells, you know, returning them to to you know previous condition if you will uh, prior to the well being spud and drilled Mm -hmm. completed and produced what are you seeing from uh from a technology perspective sounds like you know one of the concerns has been about the degradation of concrete over the time and there's there's a lot of interesting things happening with concrete and i don't want to get really technical as josh likes to say (laughs) you know people they want to hear about the watch they don't necessarily want to know how it's built but what are you what are you guys uh, are y'all looking at at some of this from from the perspective of, yeah, of the organization so there's a couple different kind of issues that i think could be improved upon when you're talking about plugging wells one is the the material that you the main was the material you use to plug a well so right now we use cement and cement has a very um negative carbon footprint right mm-hmm. not negative as in minus it's it's got a big carbon footprint it's one of those industries that's catching a lot of flack for for those kinds of things and so can we improve upon that as a material there are a lot of people doing some interesting things uh, where they're using cement to capture carbon and then right. you know so there's there's some interesting things like that but but really what we want to do Everybody that works in the oil and gas industry and has used cement even in other industries knows that it's a very brittle material, right? It can um, it can crack and it can create little micro annuluses through there. And so what we really want to create is more of a living plug, something that um, can, can hydrate and form a seal 
And maybe whether it's because of seismicity or just age or anything else, those microannuluses are going to form. There are going to be failure mechanisms there. But if that can rehydrate and, and reseal and kind of continue to get stronger over time, uh, that creates a more permanent solution, a more permanent plug uh, for the wellbore. And, and if it can be done with a, with a better sort of more equitable sourcing it, it's it's sort of a net win for everyone so to the extent we can plug these wells and keep them plugged and and do that in a way that's not uh doesn't have a negative impact then that's a positive and and that's a win and honestly this is probably a technology that people this this process right plugging wells is something we've kind of been doing the same way since about the 50s yeah and so, again, when you think about the people of oil and gas and all of the technology and all of the strides that have been made in that 70, 75-year time frame, probably if we spent just a little bit of time focusing on this, I think there would be all kinds of other innovation and technology that we would come up with. So really just focusing on it, I think, is important. I think so, too. I think, uh, I think in general, again, being aware and not being aware uh, but obviously we're talking about an end-of-life asset. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's not like they do this and they're suddenly going to get, you know, paid for it. But I, they certainly avoid fines right. uh, doing it the right way. They so. do. And there's actually some really interesting things happening right now with carbon offsets. And those folks that are creating methodologies um, and, and registries that are helping to push that, that topic forward are starting to focus a lot on oil and gas right now. And so, um, you know, American Carbon Registry is working on a methodology right now that's specifically for plugging and abandoning wells, whereby you would get carbon offset credits um, for doing big projects and doing this kind of work that could, you, you know, you could take to the open market and, um, and, and sell or keep on your own books to offset your own carbon footprint. But, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of net zero thing is not about absolute zero. It's about offsetting. And that's um, there's some opportunities here for that as well. I'm glad to hear you say that because net zero and absolute zero are two different things, they right? They are very and different. I think it's interesting, though, that it do, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's a bad thing. I know a couple of, I know of a gas operator uh, that uh, recently did some, pretty cool things thinking about their production where they're operating in western New Mexico mm-hmm. and <clears throat> they use some Turkish carbon credits to offset what they registered as their emission okay. signature and you know that that uh, that made their bankers jump for joy and do backflips and right. they're expanding their RBL facility which is helpful to them right, uh, right. also kind of uh, continuing that license to operate if you will by yeah. being responsible and thoughtful and yeah. aware of of doing things better so i think uh, i think you know when companies start to think about it that way i think there's probably going to be a greater initiative to yeah. uh to get on the, the bandwagon yeah, i agree and you know the the folks at acr who we are working with are very very founded in science and and data and oil and gas is very, very founded in science and data. And so it's actually interesting to see kind of the cross pollination of those those two things. We really have appreciated working with somebody that isn't gonna kind of try and finagle like the most profitability out of this. Like there's, again, there's rules and, and boundaries. Sure. And we can figure out how to play the game if we have the right rules and, and boundaries. And, and I think they've done a great job of structuring those. So you're talking about real science, not what uh, media science, right? I am talking about um, that feels like a loaded question, so yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna dance a little bit here. But I'm talking about like measurements, 
with calibrated um, apparatus and <laughs> testing and yeah, I'm talking about the data that we would use to drill a, drill a well, right? Yeah. Real data that we would use to make financial decisions based on, and that's the same set of data that the rest of us need to be operating. And it's kind of important that well. we have pretty good data when we do all that stuff. It think, is, yeah, yeah so. it is. Prang and Associates, the global energy search leader. Prang and Associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we have assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit prang.com. Range Valuation Services. Range is the only oil and gas focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property, and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit rangevaluationservices.com. And I think, you know, every oil and gas company that we talk to, whether it's for fellow or anything else, really is is looking for that data right now, right. really trying to understand sort of the, the, the issue at hand um, so they can figure out how to be proactive about it or pragmatic about it or, um, you know, m mitigate kind of the liability associated with this because sure. uh, they recognize it as a liability, right? It's the... Yeah. First step is awareness. <laughs> yeah. I've I read this book. Um, it's called Braiding Sweetgrass, and it's um, it, it's a, I loved it. I'm not going to recommend it because everybody has different tastes in books. But it's um, written by this. Uh, she's an indigenous woman, and but she's a botanist too. So she her struggle has been marrying you know the science of botany with kind of the the um, kind of First Nations tribal stuff that she grew up with. And one of the things she talks about a lot is this concept of an honorable harvest and living sort of reciprocally with the earth, right? And so you can go down a deep path there, but when you just think about it in terms of an honorable harvest, I think it makes sense, right? We have to find a good balance between energy needs and supporting, you know, supporting humanity and all of those things, but doing it in a way that, um, that allows us to sustainably live on the earth, right? And for generations and, yep. you know, you and I both have kids and, and we want that and everybody in oil and gas wants that, right? right? So, um, you know, thinking about where everything we use kind of comes from, how it got there, how important it is to us and, and just being more conscious about kind of was this done in a way that we as individuals are comfortable with. Yeah. We're all gonna have different versions of that story, right? But if we're thinking about it, Maybe that's positive. I think so. I think they also call that conservation. And then the concept <laughs> of uh, self-denial. I'm, I'm reading another interesting book, too. I'm, so I might want to read the book you're yeah. reading. But there's a guy, Alfred Bird Grinnell. Uh, I spent some time in Montana <clears throat> in Glacier Park. There's mm -hmm. Grinnell Glacier. Okay. And uh, what a lot of people don't know about Grinnell is he's, he's probably one of the driving forces as to why Yellowstone National Park still exist cool. and that the national park system with the help of teddy roosevelt really became full-on mm -hmm. but the book is about um almost near extinction of the buffalo okay. and what he did to try to save the american buffalo oh. and interestingly he grew up in audubon park with the audubon family and was kind of he had parents his, his dad was the banker for vanderbilt which is kind of interesting yeah. but uh he <clears throat> he was 
you know, grew up with the Audubon family. He was also one of the co-founders of the Audubon Society. Very cool. But, you know, he's, he's my kind of guy. He's a hunter or fisherman, but also yeah. a believer in conservation, right. to your point, like responsible harvest. Like right. just because you can doesn't mean you should. And, yeah. you know, you might want to, you know, leave some for for other folks and right. and uh so you know i think a lot of that needs to come front and center the most interesting thing though you would think that concept was pretty novel but here's a guy who was a big believer in conservation you know was an outdoorsman would right. hunt fish all these things uh, but also had an appreciation for wiping out of the resource and what he was doing to to try to protect that resource and how much pushback yeah. was was put on him from congress who was largely you know in the pockets or or the railroads were largely in the pockets of congress that are pushing this 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 expansion so that's it's kind of interesting yeah it is i love any book about national parks you were talking about our vacation that yeah i was that's where i was kind of going into that so (laughs) talk about that a little bit. well we kind of went up through um utah it was a road trip so we kind of we went through the petrified forest i'll name off like seven or eight but what you just made me think about was uh, Zion, which is yeah. sort of the cool national park to go to right now. Everybody wants to go to Zion. And we hike, we, you know, you go there and it's, you know, it's this huge area, but you have to get on these shuttles to go up. You can't just kind of walk up. You can either ride your bike or get on a shuttle. Mm-hmm. So there's these huge shuttles that go up and take all these people. And these things, I promise you, I had to set a timer for like 4.59 because you have to get online at exactly 5 o'clock mountain time the day before to get your ticket to the shuttle, and they sell out like that. I mean, yeah. it's it's heavy competition. Um, otherwise, you got to walk all the way up there, and it's that's – I'm not here for that. Yeah. So <laughs> um, so we, we go up there, and we want to hike this place at the very top called the Narrows, and you kind of – you know that it's in this canyon so it gets tighter and tighter as you go until you're just walking up uh, kind of on the river you have to walk through the river and you get up there and there are thousands of people in this part i mean there are so many people you can barely walk through this i mean really? everybody's there and it kind of we walked away from that park thinking of course it's beautiful of course it's a wonderful thing but there's so many people here right now like what is the National Park Service, I guess, or Zion themselves, what are they going to do there and have to limit the amount of people that go there? And so it's just this constant balance between making sure everybody has access. You just can't please everybody is the answer, but you do have to actively try to balance. It's like the best advice I ever got about being a mom was just like, you're never going to know the right answer. But if you're trying to know the right answer, that means you're loving your kid and you're being a great mom. And I think, again, that's what people have to do is we're not all going to agree. We're not all going to um, you know, come up with the same solution, but having the conversation in and of itself is really valuable and having the conversation with the right people, right? It's one thing for, um, you know, pick anybody, pick, it's one thing for a carbon offset person to put out this methodology, but if they haven't worked with the oil and gas groups that it's going to service, it's not going to be a very good methodology. So, um, you know, and that goes for a lot of different, different things. And, um, when you think about orphan wells, because these exist in our communities, that sort of opens the door up to a lot of different stakeholders, right? You've got the landowners, you've got the market carbon offset markets, you've got the operators who have to work with the landowners, you've got federal and local kind of government involved at this point. There's just so many different bridges to build. 
Um, and and I think oil and gas has a really positive voice that needs to be contributed to that story. Sure. So, um, so yeah, no, we we went to Zion, we went to Bryce and Canyonlands and Arches and Mesa Verde and um, Petrified Forest. All, we did the whole Southwest in one big road trip. It was it was brilliant. It was awesome. Yeah, it was brilliant. So, what did the kids think about this? Oh. You know, I would wake up in the morning, I'd be like, we're going to hike in the Grand Canyon. Like, this is this is awe-inspiring stuff here, folks. This is as good as it gets. And they would just be like, oh, we have to hike again. <laughs> you know, oh, my camelback is so heavy. And it's just like, you guys are ruining this for me, yeah. but I love you. So we're going to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I think all in all, they had a great time, and it's one of those sort of like the National Lampoon vacation, right? Like when you're in the moment, it's it. There were some there's some moments, uh, but looking back, like we're gonna cherish that vacation for a really long time. Yeah. So, so uh, talking about fellow again, have you have you had any interaction with uh, the good folks at Depa or Harold Ham or any of the guys in Oklahoma? Well, we've talked to a lot of the different guys yeah. in Oklahoma. I haven't talked specifically with Harold Ham, but we've even reached out to Continental and had some really good conversations good. with them. Yeah. You know, one of the things that a lot of people that is part of the education piece is, you know, in Texas, you have kind of the Orphan Well Fund or in Oklahoma, you have OERB and different states have different things. And so sure. understanding um, is that overlap or, is, you know, understanding how those things work together is um, some of the kind of first steps that you got to get over, I think, to get people on board. And, sure. um, and I think the answer, you know, just generally is all, all these organiza- organizations do good work, right? They all do right. good work. Um, but, but, um, but, and should be considered kind of complementary to each other. Do you think they could do a better job collaborating with one another? Between states or states in and, a state. and 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 some of the different organizations. You know, always we could do a better job collaborating. I guess is the answer. One of the things that makes it really difficult on like the federal side is that all the states there's no standardized set of regulations right. for this. Um, and so, you know, do you want to force all these states to standardize stuff? I think no is probably the answer. Um, but it does create confusion and it does make it more complex, right? So. Again, I think that's what an organization like ours can help with is to kind of help translate where those things are different and where those standards kind of are are confusing. Um, you know, again, we can always do a better job um, collaborating. When I think about Oklahoma, I, you know, one of the very first calls we made is to OERB. You have to make that connection. You have to you have to work with those folks. Um, sure. Yeah. For no other reason other than. Two heads are better than, than one in right. this kind of deal. So. Daniel Energy Partners, in-basin research you can trust. A leading provider of U.S. oil field research, known for its original boots-on-the-ground research approach, as well as its famous barbecue events. Daniel Energy Partners utilizes both its extensive network of top oil field professionals and frequent in-basin field tours to provide real-time market intelligence. Visit DanielEP.com for information. Locked in Global Energy and Marine, uncommonly independent. Locked in is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Locked in's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. 
Visit LockedIn.com for more information. Upright Digital. Upright Digital specializes in partnering with your business to maximize marketing efficiencies. We have a deep understanding of people, their needs, motivations, behaviors, as well as the technologies that enable brands in many industries to utilize what is available in a changing digital landscape. Find us online at uprightdigital.com. So, Stacy, I'm really excited to hear what you're doing about fellow and and uh, talk to me about some of these other groups that are out there, you know, uh, being as involved in the space as I am and being kind of interested in the in the topic yeah. uh, as it relates to emissions and, you know, financial responsibility, environmental responsibility, social responsibility. Right. I think there's some other groups that are similar to fellow that are out there. Right. How is I'm sure you're probably aware of some of those groups. How, how are you? you guys similar and, and more importantly, I guess, how are you yeah. different? Yeah. Well, no, love to talk about how we're different. Um, and I probably don't know all of the organizations that are out there, but I know of a few. And again, I don't want to criticize any of the work they're doing because I think it's all value additive. The thing sure. that we, um, I think, think about differently is probably the research side. So we really have kind of three pillars to our mission statement. You know, every nonprofit has a mission statement. And ours is not just going out and plugging wells, kind of the direct impact of plugging wells. We sure. really, really believe in the research component of this and arming uh, all, all people, all stakeholders, oil and gas companies, all, all the way around with the data that they need to really understand this issue. So. Um, for us, a lot of that is kind of impact style things, like what are the methane emissions really? You know, how can we um, get smart about that and arm people with that information? Sure. There's also, you know, we all know about some on the federal side, there's a Orphan Well Cleanup and Jobs Creation Act that's, I think, sitting in the Senate right now. And, um, you know, some of the feedback we get from the federal side is, like, how much does it cost to plug a well, right? And I could give, you could plug a well for $5,000, you could plug a well for a million dollars, probably, right. depending upon the type of well. And so, um, really, not just arming oil and gas, but arming those guys with the information they need to understand how this happens, boots on the ground, what it really requires so we sure. can get the support we need because, you know, frankly, $8 billion doesn't cut cut the mustard when you talk about all the orphan wells that are sitting out there. So, yeah. um, so kind of arming people with information, I think, really sets us apart. And then the other thing we want to do is, you know, I, I like the concept of going out and plugging wells in a one-off kind of a way. Um, which is, I think, what a lot of those guys are doing. But we really, really want to get oil and gas companies involved. And when you talk about the kind of capital that oil and gas companies have and the expertise that oil and gas companies have, that's something we feel like we can use, kind of sit beside them and leverage that expertise and that capital. So we really want to put together projects, right, that a company, you know, a larger independent can come to us and say, listen, it would be cute for us to plug one well, but what we really want to do is, is have an impact on these communities that we work in in a major way. And so mm -hmm. we want to sponsor a project um, whereby we're sponsoring, you know, maybe we take on orphan wells and plug a few. Maybe some could be returned to production and generate revenue that makes their dollar go further. Yeah. Um, and, and when you can kind of think about the full life cycle of that project, then you're talking about sort of the scale of impact on the positive side that those companies, I think, can really tell a story around. Sure. And so um, you're making a bigger impact that way. That plays well into the carbon offset markets because those are kind of done on a project level. And I think you're really using the expertise that these oil and gas companies 
you know, have in-house. And and I like that partnership. I like it being very symbiotic as opposed to just here is a donation, use it well. Um, you know, how, how can we work together and sure. how can we share that? So mainly largely a focus on the orphan wells, but also mm-hmm. at the same time, what, what I think also people don't appreciate or understand that these wells do have a finite life and mm-hmm. they do eventually become non-productive right. or right. non-commercially feasible to be productive. And, and of course, as you mentioned, the there's been advancement of technology where in some cases you can go back into the reservoir and or use the same well bore but go into a different target zone and do some things in regards to that do you do you also see um, the possibility to flag opportunities like maybe for 45q tax credit type you know reinjectivity of of carbon into certain reservoirs because to you to your to your point talking about offsets uh for yeah yeah i mean the thing that so i think i've heard about that kind of in a co2 flood mm-hmm. context and i think people have been doing that for quite some time and even participating in carbon mof- markets um, sure. with that kind of stuff and i don't know that there's uh, a ton of kind of methodology work that's been done around that so maybe that's to come but really what has to happen there because one of the big conversations ongoing now on the kind of the environmental side is this concept of of leakage mm-hmm. and so if you plug one well does the fugitive you know emissions from that well you know still get produced but from an offset or a neighboring well right. and so what you really have to do is kind of talk about it like i said on on a project level on, on a field level sure and so that could become that could become part of the story there um you know the way the oil and gas industry has historically dealt with kind of leakage is you know with field rules and dsu rules and and spacing and and density kind of rules and drainage calculations and things like that so i think it'll take some time to get um, those type of conversations um, and that type of education kind of out um, into a larger group. Um, but once that happens, I think there will be a lot of opportunity sure. um, you know, for absolute absolute emissions reductions um, and, and maybe even some kind of recoverable reserves left in the ground um, type conversations to happen you know, outside of oil and gas. Sure. So. Oh, I think that's, that's good. Well, no, that's that's helpful. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things that that uh, Josh and I normally like to ask our guests a couple of questions. Uh, one, you know, if you could tell yourself something, mm-hmm. give yourself some advice. You know, a few years ago, because you're not very old, so I can't say. Huh. You know, I but uh, is there any advice you would you would have given your former self that you know now? And then, second question. Is there is there any advice that you would like to share that folks might find useful in their everyday life that uh, that you carry with you that you think about or I've thought about? Yeah, sure. The advice I wish I wish I had every day still, but wish I would have listened to a long time ago is sort of advice from my husband, and that's just take a step back and like take a breath. You can't do everything all the time. And so don't try and do everything all the time. Focus on the top five things. What are your top five priorities on any given day? And when I am able to sit down and think about what those really are, I do a whole lot better for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So to me, that's the best advice um, that I continue to get um, every day. And and then I'm going to share two pieces of advice that I've been given by two people that were incredibly influential in my life, and I still think about them 
almost every day. One of them is a man named Craig Lick at NGP, who um, is a great friend and a phenomenal partner. Uh, his advice to me was that the opportunities will always outlast the money. So there's always a great idea. Mm-hmm. You can always chase a good idea. Um, and, and so don't, again, so, sort of the same thing, I guess. Don't try and chase too much. Um, I love that piece of advice. I think about it daily. And another one is when I was at um, Samson, there, there was a man there named Sam, and he, uh, he, we would go running at lunch, and he gave me this piece of advice while very out of breath on a running trail, and it was that pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. So kind of back to that whole honorable harvest thing, sure. I think. Um, and I, I, if you can live by those couple things, I think you're probably going to do do pretty well, you know? Yeah, no, that so, is good advice. Yeah. That is good advice. I say it to my kids, they don't get it. Well, I appreciate you coming on today. Of course. Glad and to be here. Uh, uh, for, the, for the benefit of the audience, you want to share what the uh, domain name for Fellow is? Oh, sure. It's www.fellowenviro.org, E-N-V-I-R-O. So fellowenviro.org. Yes. And can I say something about this website? Sure. Because it's, first of all, it's a very cool website, and so you should check it out. The best thing about it is my mom designed it. Really? Yes. And she's so good. So she um, worked in software all of her life in programming, and she recently retired in the last couple of years. And we're trying to do this, but, you know, we don't have any money. We're we're just trying to make it happen. And so she was like, well, let me give it a try. And so we spent, you know, countless hours going back and forth. But, uh, yeah, my wonderful mom is the one that made our website. Isn't that the coolest thing? That is really cool. Yeah, she did a great job. So if anybody needs a website. Well, it is a good website. Call my mom. Panaro's got it up on the screen for us right now. And and, uh, definitely have to get people to go check it out. Yeah. Well, Stacey, I can't thank you enough for coming to see us. Yeah. I'm sorry my partner Josh was not here to see you. You know, you would, you'd be able to help make fun of his shoelaces with <laughs> That's me. That's okay. He's going to be sorry he missed it. Yeah. I have a, a good feeling. I, I think so, too. I think so, too. <laughs> yeah. So, everybody, thank you for joining Stacey and I today. Uh, we look forward to you tuning in to our future podcast. We've got another round of great guests coming. I'm pleased to tell you today that if you have any things that you want to say nice about what we're doing on the podcast, please send them to david at oilfield360.com. And I would strongly encourage you, even if you don't have anything negative to say, just send some negative stuff to Josh at josh at oilfield360.com. Appreciate y'all listening. Appreciate (laughs) you joining us in the Fletcher Azul podcast studio. Appreciate our sponsors. And uh, God bless everybody and have a good weekend. Thank you. The Oilfield 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. United Airlines. As Houston's hometown airline, United has long been the preferred carrier of the energy sector. United for Business offers a range of programs and discounted travel options built for all of your energy, resource, and marine travel needs. Get started at united.com business. Piper Sandler. The energy and power team of Piper Sandler is committed to the global energy industry and delivers exceptional client services in M&A advisory, capital markets execution, institutional sales, and investment research. For more information, please visit pipersandler.com slash energy and power. Prang & Associates, the global energy search leader. 
Prang & Associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we have assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit prang.com. Range Valuation Services. Range is the only oil and gas focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property, and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit rangevaluationservices.com. Daniel Energy Partners, in-basin research you can trust. A leading provider of U.S. oil field research, known for its original boots-on-the-ground research approach, as well as its famous barbecue events. Daniel Energy Partners utilizes both its extensive network of top oil field professionals and frequent in-basin field tours to provide real-time market intelligence. Visit DanielEP.com for information. Locked-in Global Energy and Marine, uncommonly independent. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit Lockton.com for more information. Upright Digital. Upright Digital specializes in partnering with your business to maximize marketing efficiencies. We have a deep understanding of people, their needs, motivations, behaviors, as well as the technologies that enable brands in many industries to utilize what is available in a changing digital landscape. Find us online at uprightdigital.com.